Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we're really glad you're here today. If you're new to our church, want to say welcome to you. And uh, we have a gift for you out in the lobby today. We'd love to give you a, a mug from our church and just say thank you for being here at Axis. Hey, tonight we are starting Project 215, which is a worship gathering of young adults, 18 to 35-year-olds. And uh, Josh is actually kind of spearheading that worship gathering. Rob Carpenter is leading worship in that gathering. And then also Rob is taking the, the, uh, the 18-year-old, the 25-year-old, and doing a community group out of that. Josh is taking the young families and doing a community group for that. Uh, but tonight the worship gathering is, is beginning. And I want to encourage you, if you know somebody in that 18, 18 to 35-year-old category, uh, be inviting them. Six o'clock tonight and every Sunday night. Uh, Josh is uh, starting this uh, this evening, and there have been a lot of preparation that's gone into this. It's really geared toward, targeted toward that age. And so I want to encourage you guys to be a part of that. Also, there's some opportunity to serve. In fact, right after worship today, uh, they're going to be setting up in there. So if you want to run over there and help after worship today, you can do that. There are several ways that people who attend this worship gathering can actually help them, uh, including uh, there's some opportunities to serve maybe with children or with greeting or things like that. Even if you don't stay for the whole thing, you can come and greet. So if you want to help in that worship gathering, please let Josh know. Uh, one final thing is follow up from the video earlier. Even if you're not in a community group, one of our medium-sized groups, and then out of that come our core groups of uh, three or four men, three or four women that are meeting together and discipling one another. Even if you're not in a community group, you could get our information you could then start your own little core group with others, and, uh, and you could be having lunch together and talking about the discipleship uh, kind of process. So if you want that information, you're not on our email list, make sure you email us at groups at accesschurch.com, groups at accesschurch.com, and we'll get you included on that, all right? Now, let's, uh, let's get started. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here studying your word together today. Thank you for this series we've been learning about, the second coming, about heaven, and about what's to come. And God, we just pray today that once again you would encourage us with these words. And we ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this week is the kind of week with all of the challenges and the tragedies of this previous week. Where it's really good to be reminded that we have a heavenly home. Where there's no more death or pain or crying. And it's moments like these this week that you're really pulled to a new home. The Bible says that this is not our home. This is not our eternity right here. That we're going to experience eternity in heaven with the Lord forever. And so I am encouraged this week, even among, among the tragedy, to be reminded about the pull and the draw that we have toward an eternity with the Lord. And But one of the things I've learned over the years is there is a lot of misconception about heaven. A lot of people wonder, what is heaven going to be like? And one of the places you see misconceptions more than any other is when you go to funerals. And doing what I do, I get to go to a lot of funerals, both believers and non-believers. And I'll tell you, the things that people say and believe about heaven, you can't believe. Some crazy thoughts. One of them is this. Some people will say, well, today, I guess God got another angel. You ever heard that? So-and-so died, now they're an angel. And somebody with no understanding of biblical truth about heaven, they're trying to cope with a difficult situation they say well now mom dad my grandma they're an angel in heaven it's a good thought but it's not true we do not become angels in heaven in fact the bible says that you were created and you're going to reign over the angels in heaven so you're not going to become an angel 
Some people say, well, I just believe that if you're a good person, you're going to go to heaven. And that's a good thought, but it's not true. It's not in the Bible. Being good does not get you to heaven. Some people say, well, everybody goes to heaven. Everybody's going to go to heaven. In fact, when was the last time you attended a funeral and the person up front said today, we are remembering a person who has absolutely no hope for heaven. In fact, today they're experiencing a torment that's eternal and it's apart from the Lord. Never have heard that. The fact is that the scripture teaches that most people who die don't go to heaven. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the road that leads to eternal life, and only a few find it. So one way of coping with death is to say, well, everybody must go there. I've heard people say, well, when you get to heaven, what you're going to do in heaven is sit around on a cloud, and you're going to play a harp, and it's going to be like an eternal church service all the time. And then, of course, they follow that up with, that sounds really boring. And I agree, that does sound boring. The Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say you're going to sit around on a cloud, and it doesn't say you're going to play a harp. I don't even like harp music. And to play that for millions of years, I don't think so. So you can't believe that. Some people say, well, you really can't know you're going to get to heaven until you get to the pearly gates. And when you arrive at the pearly gates, who's going to meet you there? Peter, and he's going to tell you a couple jokes, right? Because that's what you do when you get to the pearly gates in front of Peter. And, uh, or he's going to ask you a couple questions, and depending on your answer to those questions, that's going to get you in. And that's not true either. Now, friends, while these are kind of funny, the truth is they're also tragic because they're embedded in a lot of misinformation about heaven, and yet the Bible really is very clear about heaven. And while we don't know everything, we have a lot that we can know about heaven, and that's what we're going to talk about today. In fact, like I said earlier, heaven should really motivate us today. It should encourage us in the midst of hard times. J.I. Packer puts it this way. He said, hearts on earth say in the course of a joyful experience, I don't want this to ever end. But invariably it does. The hearts of those in heaven say, I want this to go on forever. And it will. And that very reality should encourage us. Now, one of the places that we look about in the Bible for heaven is Revelation 21. It's the last book in the Bible, written by John around 90 A.D., 60 years after Jesus was here. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus himself appeared to John, gave him some encouraging visions about what heaven would be like. He was encouraging the church. And in his last vision, in Revelation 21 and 22, he talks about heaven and especially in the first eight verses. So what I want to do today is kind of give you a window into Revelation 21 and to talk about what heaven is going to be like. One thing is, everything will be new in heaven. Everything in heaven will be new. And if you have your notes page, I think that's one of your blanks there. In fact, Revelation 21, 5, he said, Jesus said, I am making everything new. And the word new there means, and it's said again in in verse 1 and 2, it means that in quality and in character, everything will be made new. Another word for that is to be renewed. And one of the things that's going to be made new is a new heaven and a new earth. It says there's going to be a new heaven. When we see the word heaven in Scripture, it kind of indicates three levels of heaven. There are three ideas when it comes to heaven. The first heaven in the Scripture is like our atmosphere. The second heaven is the sun, the moon, the stars, and the galaxies. That, they call that the heavenlies or heaven. 
The third heaven is what Paul describes in 2 Corinthians, where it says he was caught up in the third heaven with the Lord. He was indicating another place where God uh, dwelled. And when John talks about a new heaven, he's talking about all of that, that, that God has made that new. Now, he also says there's a new earth. And Randy Alcorn, in his book called Heaven, in 2005, wrote a pretty significant work on heaven. And it's worth uh, reading, but he provides some really interesting thoughts about heaven in that book. In fact, when I first read it, I was really kind of struggling with the concept because it was kind of foreign to me, even though it shouldn't be. In fact, he says when the Bible says over and over again that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and when it says that, he says that basically this way, that when God comes back, when the Lord comes back, he's going to renew or restore everything that he created to the way he intended it to be. So that like last week when we talked about the second coming, when you die, your body goes in the grave, your spirit goes to be with the Lord, and then at the second coming, there is this glorification or renewal of your body. In other words, God doesn't make junk. He didn't make a mistake when he made you. And even though sin invaded us and sin allowed us to kind of be corrupted in our own body, he said, but at the second coming, he's going to recreate what he originally intended. Randy Alcorn supposes that one of the best places to look for heaven is to look to the Garden of Eden. What was the Garden of Eden like? What was that close relationship with God like? Another analogy he uses is, instead of thinking about heaven as streets of gold, perhaps think about heaven and the new earth more like the children's books that we used to read to our children that had pictures of heaven. And the pictures of heaven were a lot more tangible. There were things that we have experienced before. There were things like... Uh, there's things like waterfalls and vegetation and plants. And when he supposed that, it really began to expand my thinking about what heaven might be like. He writes it this way. A common misunderstanding about the eternal heaven is that it will be unfamiliar. But that couldn't be further from the truth. We hear that heaven will have a new body and will live on a new earth. And that's how we should understand the new world a restored and perfected version of our familiar bodies, our familiar earth, our familiar relationships. He uses verses like Acts chapter 3, verse 21. Heaven must receive him, Jesus, until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago in, to his holy prophets. Revelation 21, verse 1 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17 he says, look, I'm ready to create new heavens and a new earth. And so he kind of expands our thinking about heaven to be something that even is tangible, something that's renewed and restored, a renewed earth. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 says it this way, And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment. Talking about that end times. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, Christ. First Peter talks about the destruction of the earth, but he doesn't say he's just going to blow it out of the atmosphere. He says that what we experience here is going to be destroyed with fire, but that doesn't mean it won't be renewed. First Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. 
Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Because why? Because everything that you've created here is going to be destroyed. Your house, a goner. Guess what? All that time and energy. Your car, guess what? As lovely as it is, you're not driving that in eternity. All right? Just keep that in mind. But then he says, the day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. Listen to this. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And I think that Peter, what may well mean is that we are going to have this renewed, this restored earth. And that'll be part of our eternal experience. Now, friends, I know this is a a bit speculative But I also know that once I kind of got my mind around this back in 2005, it drew me to a new heaven and a new earth concept. In fact, I started thinking about places that I've traveled and places I haven't traveled, right? Any of you been out of the country before? Raise your hand if you've been out of the country. I'm not just talking about Canada, eh, right? I'm talking about being out of the country. I have the opportunity to be in El Salvador. I went to Israel. Uh, I've had the chance to go to Guyana, South America, to St. Vincent to Grenada, and I've had opportunity to travel some, uh, most of that on mission work. And there are some beautiful places. There's a waterfall in Guyana, South America, that you cannot make it to by a vehicle. You cannot trek your way to it. It is too deep into the forest, but people have seen it through photos overhead, and you have to be choppered in, if possible, to get there. And I think about that. How cool would it be to go to that place and to be able to see that, to take an excursion with several of you and go, hey, let's go see that waterfall. This is going to be awesome. And I just think about all the places I haven't been. You know, I have been out of the country, and I've been to El Salvador. I've been to Israel. Friends, I've been to Kentucky. It's like a whole new world, man. I mean, I've even been there. It's really amazing. But uh, here's what I'm saying. that Once you get the concept of the fact that that it's tangible, that, that this new earth is a restored, renewed, tangible place. It begins to draw you to heaven. Not only that, he talks about a new Jerusalem. And what is that? A new Jerusalem is really God's people, the church. He said it's going to come down from heaven, verse 2. He says it's going to come down from heaven as a bride beautifully dressed for, his, for her husband. And Scripture is so consistent. Other places where we see the analogy of a bride is really describing the people of God as the bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5 says that we are the bride of Christ. And when he says there's a new city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, the Scripture is so consistent. Just like the Bible said last week when we talked about the second coming, that we who have died, our spirits will go with the Lord, and we will return with the Lord. Our bodies will be renewed and restored and glorified, and there will be this reuniting in the air with the Lord. And so when he describes this city, he's talking about the people of God, and it'll be new. He said the holy city is pure, it's righteous, it's set apart. You are a righteous people. He said you are from God. You are prepared. You're a prepared people for a prepared place. And John goes on and he tries to describe you in this beautiful language. Verse 9 of chapter 21 of Revelation. He describes you like this. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. 
It's shown with the glory of God, and it's brilliance like that of a very precious jewel. Remember, this is symbolic language describing something beautiful. He said it's like jasper, clear as crystal. It had great and high wall with 12 gates and the 12 angels on the gates. And the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And on the three gates, the east, then three in the north, three in the south, three in the west. And then he said the wall of the city had 12 foundations. On them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And in this beautiful language, he's talking about how the people of God in the Old Testament were the were the were, were really came from the prophets of God. They really came from these 12 tribes of Israel who then were able to be God's people, the Jews in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, there's a new foundation. And it's really the people of God are, are really coming out of those 12 apostles. The church is who he's talking about here. And he says that, your relationship, will be new. So there'll be a new heaven, a new earth, God's people renewed for eternity. Not only that, he says everything is going to be made new. Verse 5, and if you believe the scripture, you got to believe this. Behold, I make all things new. Some of the greatest things we experience on this earth is new stuff, right? Isn't that right? Christmas morning, you wake up, everything is new, right? I mean, it's exciting until it gets played with for a while and it gets old. And then you want more new stuff. But in heaven, everything is new every day. That's what he says. We like new cars, new clothes, new places. And and it just says, God is making everything new. And that verb there in the original language indicates it's continuously new, always new, which I think is just great because I think I'm going to get up in heaven and I'm going to be like, Andy, is that a, is that a new suit? He's going to go, yeah. I'm going to go, wow. He's going to go, well, yeah, it looks sharp. And I'm gonna like, yeah, new every morning, man. See you tomorrow. I wake up the next day. Like, is that a new suit? Yeah. It's new every morning. It's awesome. Those of you, uh, every morning I'm going to wake up and be like, hey, is that, is that a new hairstyle? Man, TJ, is that a new hairstyle? I like that hairstyle, man. That's good. He's like, yeah, it's new today. I'm like, wow, it looks awesome. Those of you who are follically challenged, you're getting hair in heaven. Amen, right? It's going to be great. I joked first service about with Kenny Birch. You know, Kenny's the guy who works out with us. He, he's, he's follically challenged. And I joked, I was like, yeah, Kenny's even going to get hair in heaven, man. And then I was regretting saying it because I think he might be able to kick my butt. But anyway, so anyway, but man, it's going to be new. In heaven, you might ask somebody, hey, uh, Amy, my, can I borrow that broom of yours? And uh, it's that old broom. You'd be like, nope, don't have an old broom. But like, why not? Because I got a new one. It's new every day. When you get a job, did you know you're going to work in heaven? I mean, in the, again, compare it to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, Adam had a job. His job was to name the animals, among other things, and it was a job that he enjoyed. And, uh, but then the curse of sin happened and work became hard and difficult. So in heaven, like the Garden of Eden, you're going to have a fulfilling opportunity to serve and to work. And I'm going to get up, and I'm going to say, Chick, you got a new job today. He goes, Yeah. It's like a new job every day. I'd be like, is it fulfilling? Absolutely. I love it. I love my work. It's so exciting. Every day it's something different. It's exciting. Now, when we're in heaven, we're going to be worshiping the Lord. We might turn to each other during a worship uh, opportunity together. And we're going to be like, wow, there is just something new about worship today. Is this a new song? I love this song. Today's worship is so new. When we come to dinner time, by the way, We're going to eat in heaven. 
Did you know the word feast is used in the Bible 187 times? I had to research that. Over a thousand times the idea of a meal is mentioned in heaven. I think that means God likes to eat. And by the way, we're going to have the wedding supper of the Lamb. And I can't wait to pull up my chair to the wedding supper of the Lamb and be like, what is this dish? This seems like it is brand new, man. I mean, I love this. What is this? Everything is new. I mean, are you starting to get this? In heaven, there's a new heaven, a new earth, a renewed and restored earth. There is this idea of a people of God that have been renewed, and everything is new. So let's dispense with this notion once for all that heaven, we're going to be bored. We are not going to be bored ever, ever. Everything in heaven will be new. The second thing is, in heaven, God is near. God is near. Verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The old order of things has passed away. God will be with them. In verse 3, we are told that we are a dwelling with God. In the ESV version of the Bible, it says we are a tabernacle with God. The word tabernacle is a reminder to the readers of this book about how God related to the people through history. That in the Old Testament, he related in a bit of a distant way. That God's presence was in the tabernacle, then God's presence was in the temple. And why is that? Why was there a separation between God and man? The Bible in Isaiah 59, 2 says, Your sins have cut you off from God. That separation happened because we chose to be disobedient to God. And so God dealt with his people in what seemed to be a distant way. And in the Old Testament, dwelling in the tabernacle, then in the temple. And the only person who could get really close to the presence of God in the Old Testament was the priest, who was able to go into the Holy of Holies. But then Jesus came, and he paid for our sin. And the Bible says the curtain that separated the inner part, the Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwelt in the temple, and the people, that curtain that separated that, was torn in two when Jesus died, thus representing now that anybody can have a relationship with God. But there is still this distance between the holiness of God. It's almost unapproachable. Revelation 21, 1, we are told that John saw a new heaven and a new earth, and then he said there's no longer any sea. And in the scripture, the idea of sea, he's not talking about water. He's really saying the idea of sea was a separation. And the people who read this in Revelation would have remembered moments like Moses when he was separated from Egypt and then went to the Red Sea and was separated to the, from the promised land. And they would remember moments like Joshua who was separated by the promised land, by the Jordan that they had to cross. The sea represented a distance between God and his people. That's why in Revelation 21.1 it says there's no, more any sea, there's no sea any longer. God's presence is now completely approachable. There is no more great divide. And that is such great news. He is our God. God will be with us. And I don't think we'll ever get used to that. Can you imagine just being able to walk the streets of heaven and to be able to ask God any question you want to ask? I mean, what would you ask him? What would you say to Jesus if you saw him on the streets of heaven? Hey, I want to ask about your life and ministry. Um, what was it like as a boy? How were your grades in school? 
what was it like when you made that sacrifice? I want to ask him some things about my life too. I want to ask him about some things about the way that they happened and why they did and lessons I learned and should have learned. I want to ask him why he created the Bengals to torment me. I want to ask him that, right? There are a lot of things we don't know, and we get to ask anything we want. Could you imagine having this perfect intimacy with God, the nearness of God? Verse 7, it tells us that he who overcomes will inherit all things. Now, I don't know what all of that means, but he says you're going to inherit all things. We're going to get everything. Everything that's imaginable will be mine personally and yours too. Everything, everything that God intends for us for eternity, you are his children, you will receive your inheritance. You're going to meet people you always wanted to meet. Be able to see places you always wanted to see. God will be there. Now, John eventually gets to a place in heaven where he goes, I want to tell you about what it is, but then he goes, it's so beautiful, so incredible Maybe the best way I can describe it is to tell you what heaven is not. And so he he kind of concludes this part by talking about what heaven is not. Verse 4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. In verse 4, he can't fully describe all of what he sees, but he does tell you what is not there. Let's walk through those. He said, God will wipe every tear. Jesus himself will raise his nail-pierced hand to your cheek and wipe every tear away, all pain. Tears in the Scripture are symbolic for your pain. Anything that causes you hurt, the things that broke your heart, the things that we silently hold inside. Did you know in the Bible, in Psalm 56, 8, it says, God is so aware of when we are crying that he saves our tears in a bottle. He knows when you hurt. No need to be sad in heaven. No more broken hearts. No more death. Think about that. Every one of us has been touched by death. It has scarred each of us. But in heaven, no more funeral homes. No more gravesides. No more saying goodbye. And if there is no more death, there is no more anything that leads to death. No more pills. No more surgeries. No doctors. No dentists. No cavities. No sickness. No age. No older people. No younger people. All together, moving toward an endless and newness and fullness of joy. Our bodies will be perfect. Some of you say, well, your body's already perfect. Well, you may have chiseled out a perfect body, you think, but someday it's going to get old. But listen, no more disabilities, no more walkers, no more wheelchairs. Sign language will just be for fun. No sorrow, nothing to be burdened about, nothing to be discouraged by. Some will say, though, but wait a minute. Will I remember this life and the pain, the failures, the disappointment? I don't know. I mean, options are you will remember it. Option number two, or or, option number one, you won't remember it. Option number two, you will remember it, but it won't make you sad. Either way, it won't bother you because there won't be any sorrow. Your worst day in heaven will be just like your best day in heaven. All the same, no pain, perfect health, relationships with God and others. You You won't have to comfort somebody and put your arm around them and say, listen, um, I'm sorry that happened because in heaven, there's no pain of any kind, relationally or physically. Every day in heaven, you're going to end up getting up in the morning, throwing back the curtains and say, I feel like a million bucks today for all of eternity. Verse 6 tells us this, 
Not only that, but you're going to be fulfilled. Verse 6 says, To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Jesus says you will drink freely. You will be able to walk to the fountain of God's blessing every day. You will dunk your head under the water and drink until you're satisfied. You'll be fulfilled. Which leads some people to say, well, I mean, what are we going to do? Are we going to be able to have hobbies in heaven? Absolutely. And people say, well, can I do my needlepoint in heaven? Well, I said heaven's not going to be boring, so I don't know about that. You know, I'm not sure about, I'm just kidding. If you like needlepoint, I mean, why not? The Bible doesn't say anything against that. Some people say, well, will there be golf in heaven? I mean, could you imagine just walking up to the links at Augusta? You don't even have to be a member, right? You just go like, hey, I'm on today. I've got a tea time at 9. Let's go. I'm bringing my friends with me, you know. I'd like Luke to be in my foursome today. I think he might actually be able to play a good game. Here's the thing. You, you won't have to want for anything. Everything that's good, everything that's right, the Bible says, is there. By the way, if you've got all these good things in heaven, you're never going to have a group over in the heaven, cor- heavenly corner saying, well, this really stinks, doesn't it? A group of complainers and criticizers, you know. They'll never be like, hey, uh, a lot of negativity in heaven. And I'm just thankful for that. I like to be around positive people, right? All the people in heaven will be so thrilled and delighted in the fullness of God. Now, in verse 8, the passage takes a twist and it tells you other things that won't be in heaven. And this gets slightly sobering, but he says in verse 8, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars. Their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. That is the second death. Next week, we're going to talk about hell. And it's not going to be quite as joyful as today. We're going to talk about the reality of hell. We're going to talk about what the Bible says about hell. And, uh, but by the way, teaching on hell can be very, very motivating. One of the most popular sermons in all of human history was Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, which indicated this idea that people were motivated much by what they wanted to avoid as much as what they were called to. Not everybody's going to heaven. The Bible says he who has the Son of has life. But he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Matthew says, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Matthew records Jesus' words. But narrow is, the road, r- narrow is the road that leads to life. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. He said, I am the way to that place. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody gets to the Father but through me. Friends, there is only one way. It is not based on your goodness. It is based on His righteousness and payment for sin. So I'm just simply saying this. Those of you who have never made a decision for Christ, this is your moment. This is the hour. You need to be ready for this time. Because when that moment comes where you walk from this life to the next, there is no second opportunity, no second chances. God has given you chance upon chance in your life to say yes to Christ, to receive His payment for your sin on the cross. And the Bible says you got to believe in that payment. Believe that Christmas is... More than just about gifts and a tree. It's about Jesus coming to our world as a baby, living a sinless life, dying an atoning death on the cross for your sin. You have to believe that Easter is more than just egg hunting and chocolate. It's about a resurrection. The fact that Jesus came back to life so that we could defeat death also. You've got to believe that. 
then you confess it. God, I believe this. I believe that you died for me. I believe you gave your best for me. You have to repent of your sin. Even if you have one sin in your life, you have to say, God, I'm really sorry. Sorry for what I've done. Sorry for what I've become. God, I want a relationship with you. And the Bible talks about being baptized then. Romans 6, 3, and 4. All of you who died, all of you baptized, you died in that water. And you were raised to new life. Just like Jesus died and was resurrected, our baptism is our proclamation of us us saying, God, we are dying and we are being raised to newness of life. We want to walk with you. Friends, if you have never made that decision, you need to know that you know that you are ready for that moment in your life. One of the things that was extremely comforting for us as dad faced his last moments on this earth was he kept telling people over and over and over again, I'm ready. I'm going to heaven. Are you ready? Yeah, I remember he grabbed the hand of one of his nurses and just as she was about, he was about to go to hospice and he, he was leaving her care and she was going off her shift. He held her hand, pulled her in and looked her in the eye and said, I'm going to heaven. Are you going to heaven? And in his last moments, he is begging people, asking people, will you be ready to go to heaven with me? And that was comforting to us, and it was also motivating, reminding us what's most important. And today, we're going to close with a song that David and Amy sang at Dad's funeral about that day, about the second coming, about heaven. And I pray that it's as motivating to you as it was to us on that day as encouraging, that God provides to all of those who are followers of His a new day, a new morning, new mercies every morning and an eternity with him and if you're not ready for that you need to come come at the song come up here and talk to me and say i want to make that decision to make christ the lord of my life you don't have to be perfect you don't have to be perfect god doesn't expect perfection he expects humility he expects a willingness to say god i love you and i I know i don't have it all together but god i want what you offer if you believe the scripture you got to take seriously both the warnings and the promises The warning's about hell. The promise is about heaven. And so as we sing this today, I want you to use it as a moment of decision, a moment to recalibrate your life before God. God, thank you so much for this new day that we're promised. Thank you, God, that on that day that we will see you face to face and all of what we have prepared for, all of what we have been promised, God, will come to fruition. And Lord, we look forward to that eternity with you. And God, we pray for those in our world as tragedies happen and challenges happen, that it would motivate us to realize the shortness of life and that it would motivate us to think about an eternity with you and what that promise looks like. God, we love you. We thank you for Christ our Savior. And now we celebrate you in Jesus' name. Amen.